Good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. It's been a while, I feel like, since I've been in here. <clears throat> it looks awake-ish. Uh, did have a special request to wish Allison Paul a very happy birthday. I hope it is actually your birthday, because Andrew told me to do it, which is, you never quite know. So, <laughs> So anyway, grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, beautiful Sunday morning. Sun is out. Uh, you say the sun makes everything better. Doesn't mean it's good, but whatever it was, it's better when the sun's out. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray. We'll get started. Father, we're so thankful that you have woken us all up this morning, brought us to, to church. Pray that you would set our minds to worship you, we remember how good you have been. We think about all the times that you have showed up in our lives, that you have sent your presence and calmed our spirits, reminded us of how great a salvation we have. What a sweet thing for us to remember today. And so as we get into your word and, and remember the things that happened thousands of years ago and see how they apply to our lives, I pray that you would calmer spirits, clearer minds. I know there's a lot of things going on in everybody's lives here. Uh, but take those things away here just for a moment so we can really reflect on uh, who you are and how great you are. Uh, we praise you for it. We look forward to what you will teach us today. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, <clears throat> uh, Justin taught you from the, for the end of the 14th chapter of Mark and went through the, called Becoming a Faithful Witness for Jesus. We were talking about the, the, the false witness of the Sanhedrin, of the, the Jewish leaders, and then the, the fallen witness of Peter, and then the flawless witness of Jesus. So today we're going to carry on into uh, chapter 15 in Mark, so you can start turning your, turning your Bibles there. So this trial, and I'm not going to do air quotes every time, but in your mind you can do that, uh, right? This, the trial of Jesus, if you can call it that, uh, is going to move from the Jewish leaders to the, the Roman government, and we're going to follow, we're going to follow through there. So that's kind of just to set the stage for the, the, the title of the message, just as I thought about it. You know, who's really on trial here? We're going to see. Well, let's get into it. We'll see just exactly what we think about that by the time we get to the end of it. So, if you would, I have you stand up in honor of God's word while we read Mark chapter 15. It says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away, delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, and so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he, this big Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder and the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. 
And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Sit down. So the first section we're going to talk about here, we'll just start right in verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, bound Jesus, and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So after the condemnation by the council. So remember, this is uh, over, This is going to be, we're catching up to this on Friday morning. Last week, what Justin was talking about would have happened into the night, Friday night, and Justin had made a comment about how the, the Sanhedrin was breaking all sorts of their rules uh, in order to get this sort of thing done, uh, in order to get this trial done, uh, produced lots of witnesses that couldn't agree because what they really wanted is to get rid of Jesus. They didn't have any interest in a trial, as we would think about it. As we think about trials, we're thinking about trying to find justice, trying to find the truth. And this is, this is not what they were doing. This is not what that Sanhedrin is doing. We remember finally they settle on because they can't, they can't make any other accusation stick. They accuse him, or, or they settle on asking if he is the son of God. And of course he answers truthfully and says that he is, and that's all they need. They say, this is blasphemy. We are ready to, we're ready to kill him. So the problem is, though, that the Sanhedrin can't actually legally put anybody to death. So Israel at this point uh, and Jerusalem is under uh, Roman control. And so generally in these situations, the Roman government, as long as there wasn't any kind of revolt or any kind of, of uh, political turmoil, would let conquered cities keep whatever religion they wanted. Rome, Rome had lots and lots of gods. A couple of more didn't really matter to them. And so it didn't, they let the Sanhedrin kind of do what they wanted in terms of, of laws and managing their people. But when it came to penalties like the death penalty, they reserved that for themselves. So the Sanhedrin stuck with, they're all agreed, they want to get rid of Jesus. They think he's a blasphemer, they're ready to kill him, but they can't do it legally where they're at. So that's where we're going to see them bring him, try to get him into the Roman legal system so they have a way to, to get a Roman official to pronounce this death sentence that they're after. So we're headed, headed to another trial. They happen first thing in the morning uh, because that's when Roman officials hear these sorts of things. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why, why that is, but just in the reading that I did for this, the uh, that is when Roman courts went into session is first thing in the morning. So you can tell by the, 
the overly dramatic step, I don't know if you noticed it when we read through there, it talks about them binding Jesus to take him to, to Pilate. I don't know if there's something in your mind that thought, well, wait a second, he's never been violent before ever. Why would you, why would you tie up somebody who doesn't? And I think it's, it's another uh, point to us to see that the Jewish, Jewish officials do not intend for this trial to be any more fair than the one they just had, right? They're going to tie him up. They're going to make him look dangerous so that when they run into this, into this Roman courtroom, they can hold him out as, here's this uh, scary revolutionary. He declared himself to be a king. So the easy answer to our, our lesson title of, of who's really on trial is Jesus, right? The, as you read through here, for sure, Jesus is on trial in this Roman court. But think back, if you will, this would be a couple of months ago for you here. I don't know if you remember when you were in, this would have been in Mark 10. And I'll just read you verse 33 from that. So this is Jesus speaking. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And then even further back to, to Psalm 22, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. All right, so these things happened months, in some cases, in many, many, many years in the case of the Psalms, previous to what we're looking at right now. And I think the point that I, that I want to make before we really get into this trial is this, that that God is, control, is in control of everything. He's in control of everything here. He's in control of everything always. I mean, both these, what we just read here, the Old Testament and New Testament prophecies bear witness to the fact that this is God's plan of salvation, that he is working out through the death of his son. I mean, this, is coming, this has been coming from Genesis. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. God has had this plan in place. One of the things I find really fascinating is just think about where we are. We're headed into a trial with Pilate. The trials come through these Jewish leaders. We know they're not being fair. We know that Jesus hasn't been treated fair. He's being accused of things that he never did. He has no intention of starting a revolution. We know that it's not right. And yet it's God's plan that keeps marching forward. Even though, I mean, here's a thought for you. Do you think Pilate woke up this particular day and thought, you know, I wonder what God's plan is for me. I mean, I hope you wake up like that. But I'm suspecting Pilate didn't. I don't think Pilate gave a rip about what God wanted. And yet we find him right in this place doing things that were prophesied, right? That, that Jesus was going to be placed before Gentiles. Gentiles were going to condemn him. And then he was going to die because that's God's plan. And what I want you to see right there is sometimes life doesn't feel like it's going quite the way you want it to go. Sometimes in little things, but sometimes in bigger ones. Sometimes there's relationships. Sometimes there's illness. Sometimes there's things in your life. And you cannot figure out how this could possibly be what God would want. And is there any situation like this? I mean, these disciples had to have thought, what in all the world is going on? This is not what we thought would happen. How can this be God's will? 
we know it because we have the, the gift of the scripture so that we can see it. But, so I just want to remind you that, that as we see these people work, uh, working their work against Jesus, they didn't care about God's glory, they didn't care about his plan, and yet we see God sovereignly working out his plan and Jesus submitting himself to that plan. And there's a, to me, there's a great amount of hope in that, that no matter how dark things may be for you right now, that God has never left. He's never left you. He's never left you alone. He's, he knows exactly what your situation is. And the answer is to turn our eyes to him and watch the way that he will work it out uh, for us instead of despairing over what looks like an impossible situation. So that sets the stage for the rest of the study today. Jesus is the one in chains. He's standing in the dock, so to speak, of, a, of an unfair trial in a Roman government. We're going to see that. The other actors in this story are going to demonstrate that in God's eyes, they're the guilty ones. Jesus, Jesus is going to go through this trial. He's going to submit himself to it. But through the process of it, he's going to demonstrate he really isn't in God's world the guilty party. So next, move the next next section of verses here is uh, two to five. So you've, we've seen we've seen these leaders in the last couple of weeks you know, acting in ways that show their opposition to the God that they claim to serve. Uh, the last couple of years of Jesus' public ministry, he's made it very clear through his teaching and the miracles that backed up that teaching that he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah that the Old Testament has prophesied would come. These leaders are supposed to be the the leading scholars of this Old Testament. Uh, They're supposed to be leading God's people in service to him. These are the priests. These are the the, the people who hold the law. Um, And I forget the numbers. I think there's 600 some odd actual points of the law back from the Old Testament. And I don't even know the number that that they've come up with since then, right? These rabbis continue to come up with more and more and more um, rules for people to follow, ostensibly to help them follow God. But I think as, as we see and as Jesus certainly saw, it really wasn't that. They weren't trying to help anybody serve God. His men whose lives are supposed to be dedicated to knowing the Old Testament, often memorizing. I thought I heard once that that some of them actually had the whole Old Testament memorized. Um, Scripture memory is a great challenge for me. So to think about having a couple of verses um, memorized is a challenge. Think about having the entire, I mean, how thick is that in your Bible? The whole thing, memorizing that whole thing. That's what was in these these men's minds that are supposed to be uh, leading God's people. It seems like they should have been able to put the pieces together when Jesus is saying, I am that Messiah. You know, I always have to turn back and find it in the Old Testament, but these guys knew it. They knew exactly what those words were. But we hear Jesus say in Matthew's gospel things like, So Jesus, talking about the Pharisees, the the Jewish leaders, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries, which is the 
the stripes on their robes and the wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace, to be called rabbi by others. Then Jesus says again, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And so we see a group of people who, who is in a position of power over the, the, the Jews or the, the, the people who were trying to follow God. And instead of knowing God themselves and being shepherds and leading people in a way that, that takes them closer to God, instead they turn it into, they're just playing around with religion. They're just messing around with making up a bunch of rules so that they can say, I check this box, I check this box, I check this box. And what Jesus recognizes about them is, you, you don't know God at all. You, you, you haven't even started on this walk with God. You're just, you're just making up a bunch of religious rules. And I hope there's something about that that rings true about our lives today because there's a temptation for us as Christians to get pulled into that same thing, to think about what, what I've got to take off today to make God happy. And that's not, that's not the way God wants it to work. He wants us to have a relationship with him that's new and ongoing and alive every day that inspires us to do the things that he's called us to do. So now this, this group of, of Jewish leaders is in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, uh, lying like a proverbial used car salesman to try and get Jesus condemned, right? They're, 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 they're using everything they can come up with. Uh, chief priests accused him of many things, it says in verse 3, uh, over so that the this account in the Gospel of John records the emptiness of their accusations. I always think this one is a little amusing. So they come to, to Pilate, and Pilate says, well, what did, this get, what did this man do? And they say, if this, man weren't doing, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have brought it, which is nothing. I mean, that's, you haven't even started yet. If that's, if that's what you're accusing somebody of, like, well, I said he did something bad, and so I brought him here, and he's here because he did something bad. I mean, if you ever try that with your parents, it's not going to work very good, right? When you're trying to make an argument like that, it's just a circular, just because you say he's bad, that's not, that doesn't mean anything, but they have absolutely nothing that they can pin on Jesus we know because he's perfect. And, and Pilate is even starting to figure this out. So what I want to point out in this section is, right, these men, these Jewish leaders, their entire life was supposed to be about God's law. These were God's priests. These were supposed to be the people shepherding God's, God's chosen people. But their actions here show that they didn't know God at all. They didn't know who he was. They didn't care who he was. And so even this, even though Jesus is the one in the courtroom that's on trial, God's word shows as we look through here that, the, that these Jewish leaders are guilty and, and Jesus is the innocent one. All right.
move to the next section here. This is verses 6 through 11. This is uh, Pilate. Pilate has the opportunity to provide just, justice for the unjustly accused, but instead chooses his own political gain. So history tells us that Pilate was not a particularly impressive guy. Uh, he served as the governor of Judea for about a decade. As I understand it, that job, the job of, of being the governor of Judea, wasn't, wasn't one of the high ones. It was actually one of the bottom. It was one of the lower uh, rungs as you're getting into the corporate ladder, so to speak, of, of Roman governing. He served here for 10 years, mostly because he couldn't get promoted anywhere else. And, and as it happened, a couple years after the, this gospel was, was happening, uh, I believe there, there was either a, a revolt or an, something happened. Uh, he got himself kicked out of this job and then actually banished from being a, government, a governor altogether. So his, his stubborn, he had a stubborn streak and a cruel uh, nature to him. And, and as a leader, that often put him at odds with these Jewish people. So again, remember, the, the, the Jews here are in Israel. They're able to live kind of how they want under the, the leadership of the, their Jewish leaders as long as they pay their taxes and don't break any of the, of the Roman laws. But this, they have this governor who is um, kind of a jerk, frankly. And so there have been some riots. There's been some revolts. There's history tells us that he put down uh, a number of protests, protests that were probably even legitimate in brutal, brutal fashion. So that's kind of how this sets up, that this government knows who these Jews are. He knows who these leaders are. Their, their relationship is it's okay at the moment, but um, they're not particularly close. He's not particularly impressed with them. So they bring, the leaders bring Jesus. He's sitting before Pilate. Uh, there's a longer, uh, John 18 has, has a better, a more, not better, a more detailed account of, of what some of the questions are uh, as they went through here. But to Pilate's credit now, we see here in, see verse 10 says, For he, this would be Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests have delivered him up. So um, he's a governor. His job is to, is to make decisions in terms of uh, who's broken the law, what the, what the sentences are. And so this Jesus shows up in front of him. And we see, to his credit, that he's not, he is not quite so dumb as to be fooled by what these Jewish leaders are trying to do. Again, we see in verse 10, it says, he knows that they delivered them up out of envy. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the end of John 18, he's asking him questions. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is responding with, with questions. Did, did you ask this, or did other people tell you to do this? Or do you want to be a king? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, we would fight. And then Pilate says, so you are a king? And Jesus says, you say that, but essentially telling him, I'm not the kind of king you think I, 
that they're, that they're putting me up to be, right? I have no intention to make a revolution here. If, if you think that I'm trying to round up this bunch of clowns into a revolution that's gonna take over Rome, you've totally missed the point, which is kind of the same thing that he told his disciples um, in, the, in the week leading up to this. And we see that, that Pilate is entirely unconvinced that Jesus has done anything that would merit any punishment at all, much less the death penalty, right? He's, he's enough of a governor to see that uh, and to know that. We learn from uh, Matthew's gospel, which I, I won't read here, that as this trial is going on, Pilate's wife uh, sends a message to him uh, that says, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. So we don't know anything else. All we have is that line from Matthew about what this dream is. But think about this from, I mean, just from Pilate's perspective. Right? So you are a governor. Your job is to, to sit in this seat and make judgments about people. You have, you have an obviously innocent man. I mean, nobody's made any accusation of anything that, that you can see. You've asked your own questions, and you can't get him to say anything that, that would be worthy of judgment. He does not appear to pose any risk to Rome. The, the, the band of people that ran around with him in the, in the weeks previous to this have all run away. Right? Last, last week we learned that Peter was, Peter was the last one to even be close enough to see, and he denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Right? There's no army. There's no, there's no insurrection being mounted here by, by Jesus. And Pilate can see that. That's, it doesn't look like there's anything going on there. Uh, even the Jewish opponents can't mount any kind of coherent case of what he might be doing or what he might be guilty of. And then you're, you're sitting in your judgment seat and some little minion comes up behind you and whispers in your ear, hey, your wife says not to do anything with this guy because she just had a crazy dream about him. Okay, right? I mean, that's... You're not quite there yet, but every once in a while, I, I didn't even think about this until just right now. When I'm at work, trying to focus, trying to, to concentrate on something. Every once in a while, something will happen at home and Carmen will call, which is great. I'm glad to get to talk to my wife throughout the day. Um, but that can be very discombobulating, right? So you, I'm, I'm focusing on whatever it is I'm trying to focus on and Carmen calls and says, whatever, something happened at school and a kid has to come home and we were supposed to do something and hang the phone up. Okay. Try and refocus back on what's going on. So I'm just thinking about Pilate in this situation, right? This is a dead bang, open and shut. This guy didn't do anything. Well, why would I? Why would I judge him for anything? I, I can't. I can't even come up with a reason why I would do it. And now my wife says there's some kind of juju going on that I don't know what it is. It, it seems like that's a pretty easy. In a normal situation, you think that this would be a pretty easy decision for Pilate to make. Give him pause before he pronounces him guilty. But, well, you've read the end of the story, so you know what happens next. 
Pilate can't escape the fear of this crowd. The thought of, oh boy, they, they brought him here and they're really wound up about it. I can't see why it makes any sense, but if I don't give them what they want, this is in this Passover feast, there's lots of people here. If I have another riot, I might get fired. I might, what's going to happen to me because of this? And so instead of the righteous act of pronouncing Jesus innocent of any crime against Rome that would merit any kind of punishment, Pilate chooses the cowardly act of appealing to the crowd to, to pardon, to try and find some way to let it go. When it was, when it was entirely in his, inside his control to pronounce him innocent. And so we see again, even though this is Jesus' trial, Jesus is sitting on trial, God's word shows that Jesus is innocent and Pilate really is guilty. Pilate's the guilty party here. So our next group of people we're going to look at is this, this crowd. It just refers to them as the crowd. So we don't know who this is. I don't actually know how big uh, the crowd was. There is some question in, in uh, Bible commentary about who this crowd exactly consists of. I mean, you remember thinking back over the previous couple of weeks, we're talking about what we call the Passion Week. And so that started with Palm Sunday. So... Palm Sunday of the, the week we're talking about here in the Bible, uh, Jesus rode into town on the donkey on the palm leaves, and there was great crowds uh, shouting Hosanna, right? We know, I'm sure as you heard in the, in the teaching of you know, many of these people in the crowd had, had more of a nationalistic idea of who Jesus was. They were thinking, this Jesus is going to be our king. Uh, we're ready for a king like that who's going to take down Rome, get us out from underneath this, this oppression. Uh, and, and so I don't know, I don't know if how many of those people were in this crowd. The Bible isn't super clear about which crowds were who and which ones were there. Uh, verse 6 here in, in Mark 15. Now at the feast he used to release this being Pilate for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So it seems like this is an annual thing, so that every Passover, this is something that Pilate did, uh, is, is to release a prisoner. So it seems like the group would at least either be locals or certainly regulars to this, uh, to this Passover feast, that they, that they know this is gonna happen, that someone's gonna be released and they're gonna at least get a shout out there. They're vote about about which one it is. So I don't know that. I don't know exactly who is, is in this crowd, but re regardless of the actual number and the makeup, this crowd would surely have been aware of who Jesus was, of the, how he had come in in Palm, Palm Sunday, the nature of that, the fact that there's a guy, this, this man named Jesus, there's something about him. There's something... There's something that tends to stir up people, that there's lots of opinions and, and people think uh, different things about him. But the fact is, this crowd knows that Jesus isn't leading any kind of revolution because they're the people he'd be leading. 
I mean, these, these are Jewish people in Jerusalem. If there was going to be some kind of revolution, it would be them. And they know they're not it. That's, so they, they know that he's innocent of, of what's being, what he's being accused of. They're actually kind of ticked about it, that he's not going to lead that kind of revolution, right? As we looked at, at kind of the way that the, the nature of what Palm Sunday was, those people were looking for a revolution. They were looking for a leader of a revolution. And when Jesus turns out not to be that, there's a certain, there's a certain irony to it that, that the thing he's being accused of is what these crowds actually wanted him to do. But he's not. That's not Jesus' kingdom. It's not the one that he's talking about. So they're given a choice between Jesus the Christ and the ironically named as I was studying this, uh, this Barabbas is apparently the, the surname. His first name was Jesus. So there's, it was two Jesuses. You got a choice, a choice between two men named Jesus. And so their choice of Barabbas to be released doesn't have much to do with him. I mean, this is a man who is obviously guilty um, of some kind of murder in, in an insurrection. Um, I don't think that their choosing of him is because they wanted him, but rather it's a rejection of Jesus. And Pilate even asked them specifically, what shall I do with this man? It's called the king of the Jews. And they respond, crucify him. Right, so that's a distinctly, that's a distinctly Roman punishment, um, something that, that Jews don't do and didn't have the authority to do. Was there... At the, at the time, it was their most uh, cruel and, and distasteful punishment. But that's what the crowd wants. Crucify this, this Jesus. They wanted a different kind of Jesus. Right? One who, was, who would give them their best life now. Somebody who was more interested in what they wanted and how they wanted to live. They were not interested in a suffering Savior. And so again, we see, even though this is Jesus, who's on trial, God shows us from his word that the people in this crowd are the guilty ones. So, so far we're coming up with lots and lots of guilty people um, as God sees the world, and none of them, none of them are Jesus. So lots of folks are on trial here, even though they didn't know it, as we look back and see uh, their actions in the light of God's word. So last section here, the, the trial before Pilate shows Jesus to be innocent, right? We haven't seen anything here uh, of which Jesus was actually guilty. But the Bible makes clear that he died for our sins. So it's easy for us to look and say, oh man, that crowd, boy, they, they really should have understood who Jesus was and understood who his kingdom was. Look at Pilate and say, boy, you know, he, he should have, even just as a Roman, he should have chosen the righteous thing to, to pronounce an innocent man innocent. Look at the Jewish leaders and say, boy, they were bad shepherds. They really didn't. But we step back from the Gospels to take in the picture of the whole Bible. We're reminded that from the very beginning, from, from Genesis, God had a plan to redeem fallen mankind. And that's you and me. That's 
That's not just Pilate. That's not just the people in this crowd. That's us. And so Jesus is on trial as he heads to his own death to be a perfect sacrifice for the unrighteous. And that's us. We are the unrighteous. We're the fallen ones. We're the ones who need a perfect sacrifice. A couple of verses here. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then in Romans 5, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, so much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, just like those guilty Jewish leaders, just like guilty Pilate, like the guilty crowd, we're guilty too. Our, our sinful lives cry out, crucify him, just like the, the men did 2,000 years ago. But the great news this morning is that your history isn't written yet. You're sitting right here. And today is a day that you can put your trust in Christ for the salvation that God accomplished with this perfect sacrifice. God was entirely in control of, of this trial, of, of where Jesus was all the time. Jesus submitted himself to it because this sacrifice is the one that we needed to pay for our sins. So Jesus is perfect and innocent, dying for the sins of, of us and the people who conspired to put him to death. So confess, the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you chose to speak to us through your word, that you, that you made this plan of salvation, that you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you, and that you've shown it to us in your word. What an amazing thing it is that it's been preserved for thousands of years, your word spoken through your writers, so that we could understand the plan, so that we could understand who you are. I pray that this word would, would light a fire in our hearts this morning. If we don't know who you are, that you would draw, that you would draw people to you. Someone here that doesn't know Jesus, that does not know that their sins can be forgiven, that they can have an eternal life prepared for them with you. I pray that they would come. For those who are believers here, I pray that we'd have, we'd have hope. We would be encouraged by the truth that you are a great God who knows who knows our end from our beginning, who has, who has called us uh, not just to send us straight to heaven, but has kept us here on this earth because you have a plan that you desire to work your work on this earth through your people, of which these are. We are your people. So I pray that you would use us, uh, encourage us, and send us out into this Sunday and this week uh, with the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Ask this prayer in Jesus' name.
you are dismissed.